Hello, and welcome to Productive Ministry. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For the season of Advent and leading into Christmas, we're recommending God is in the Manger, Reflections on Advent and Christmas by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer writes, There are only two places where the powerful and the great in this world lose their courage, tremble in the depths of their souls, and become truly afraid. These are the manger and the cross of Jesus Christ. No priest, no theologian stood at the cradle of Bethlehem, and yet all Christian theology finds its beginning in the miracle of miracles that God became human. These stirring words are among 40 devotions that guide and stir readers as they move thematically through the weeks of Advent and Christmas, from waiting and mystery to redemption, incarnation, and joy. Supplemented by an informative introduction, short excerpts from Bonhoeffer's letters, and passages from his Christmas sermons, these daily devotions are timeless and moving reminders of the true gift of Christmas. You can listen for free to God is in the Manger by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, narrated by Arthur Morey, which is also whisper sync and voice ready, by going to www.audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Get a 30-day free trial, including a free audiobook, when you sign up today. This is episode number 28, Conflict, with Drew Peterson and Jeremy Melton of the Jefferson Street Boxing Club. Welcome to Productive Ministry. My guests today are Drew Peterson and Jeremy Melton of Jefferson Street Boxing Club in Kaufman, Texas. I'm so glad you guys are on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So what uh, what exactly do you do? That's a good question. That's what a, don't we do, I guess, a, is the question. Well, let me, let me say this. So as we're doing this interview, we are in the middle of a boxing ring, um, in the middle of a gym, and it's awesome in here. There's going to be pictures online. So all of those things are real. Uh, at the place that we're at right now. And you guys work with kids. What kind of kids do you work with? Just any kid? Yeah, I mean, we, I, I feel like we work with any any type of kid. We have, yeah. we have poor kids, rich kids, kids that come from fatherless homes, kids that are um, just typical two-parent home, you know. They're the standard kid. Um, we come, we work with kids that, you know. Some kids have been in trouble. Some kids uh, mm-hmm. haven't really been in much trouble at all. By vocation, you're actually a middle school principal. Right. That's right. And what were you doing before this gym happened? <laughs> yeah. So I actually, uh, I guess what I really do for my real job, quote unquote, is uh, I sell knee replacements and hip replacements for orthopedic company. Okay. So. So, yeah. So how do I fall in this? I guess I have a, a great passion for kids. I truly right. believe in investing in youth and um, just kind of, I know there's a lot of kids in this area that need uh, some guidance, some love some sort of male figure in their life. Right. Um, if I can be that person, then that's what I need to be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just believe in youth and um, investing in them and challenging them um, and just loving on them at the end of the day. So you guys were friends and you were, did you like 
fight each other all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, we you know we were friends. His his wife worked at my campus, um, and his sister in law worked at my campus, and his mother in law worked at my campus and was my secretary for a time. So they always kind of felt like uh, a little bit more like family, right? Um, and so you you develop a friendship because you work with the other person's, which that doesn't always happen, but it did in this case. And and for me, it was probably felt a little bit different because there seemed to be sometimes in life things happen where you meet somebody and you feel like there's something tied to that relationship that's more than just being buddies. You know, right. you may not know what that is then, but it just felt like there's something you're supposed to do, yeah. uh, that type of thing. So I think I, I always felt like that. So that and it was just a, a friendship from that. And then, you know, common interests as far as boxing primarily and then other things that we that we were interested in. Yeah. I mean, I can remember vividly the day that we talked about doing something like this. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a dream at that point. Um, it was like, let's do this in 10 years. Was uh, this like bar talk or? No, I mean, it was literally in my house, in my media room. We were watching a fight and uh, it was Canelo versus uh, Jacobs. Kirkland. Kirkland, that's correct. Yes. We just kind of started talking about it, kind of different things that we'd want to do. Like, a, you know, we're literally dreaming, like pulling things from the sky that we'd want this place to look like. Right. And I mean, within what, how many days after that, within two, three two, weeks, two or three weeks, we had this building. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, within two or three weeks, we had talked to someone who was said, you know, I, what, the conversation was about uh, business stuff and it was a parent of a kid that I had and her name is Wendy Thomas. She's the one that owns this building. She's uh person in the community that owns a business and, and I'd had both of her kids and I was just asking her basically a business question of, you know, Hey, this, this is kind of something we're wanting to do. She knew Drew cause Drew was also seven on seven code. You know, he's been around these kids. So she knows, she knows him as well. And, you know, we're wanting to do this thing and this is my idea, which most people and some people did, you know, they're going to say you're insane. Yeah. Um, you know, for a few reasons, but, uh, you know, she didn't think that. And she said, you know, I would do, this is how kind of, I would do it. And it wasn't long after that where she called one day and said, hey, this building is for sale over there. We walked in and literally 10 minutes after being in here, she had bought the building. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And he calls me and he's like, dude, she bought that building. And I just remember like, okay, now all the stuff that we talked about doing <laughs> is now reality. Is that a scary and, feeling? Oh, like totally. When, like, when, what do they call it? Like a success stress or <laughs> yeah. success anxiety. Well, it wasn't success yeah. at that time, but yeah, <laughs> but we, I mean, it was, you know, it was where we were at. Yeah. There's a, there's a huge weight to like serendipity, you know, yeah. where you're like, wow, this is what I wanted to happen. But now that it's happened, uh, well, how are we supposed to do this? Yeah. It's you like, know? I thought was, I had time. And it's yeah. funny, I thought I had time. Right. And it's yeah. funny. Cause it was like a running joke with our wives. Like, Oh, you know, like they're in there talking about what they want to do, you know? And I, remember calling like, Hey, uh, Nat, uh, she bought that building. So it was like, yeah. what did you at that time? At that time, you don't realize how much work it's going to take. Oh yeah. You just think it's going to be this awesome, magnificent thing that you dream up in your head. And then, then, all right, let's start putting the gloves on and literally going to work. Yeah. So now did, uh, you, did you, did you, did you guys have a background in fitness or boxing or training? <laughs> don't tell anyone, but we are ex champions, like what? heavyweight, Yes. Okay, we're gonna need pictures for the for the website. When you find them, call us. Okay. <laughs> no, this is the crazy part. Is neither. I mean, common love for yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, just <clears throat> fans of the sport. Essentially, we grew up, you know, you know, watching the sport, and I mean, it is it's the greatest sport. 
to me. I mean, it challenges you mentally, physically. It's just um, like pure physicality, you know? Yeah, and there's no there's no so, metaphor in boxing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like no, it's I very totally lonely. It. It's, yeah. It takes an extreme amount of discipline. No, there's um, nowhere to hide. You know, you can hide weakness on a football field and a slow linebacker, and you can hide it on a basketball court, and you can hide it in baseball. And you may have four different things that you have to do in those sports where one thing that you are good at will shine and the other things aren't maybe uh, as valuable, but there's somebody on the team to pick up the slack, you know. Right. There is none of that in boxing, which is one of the things that has always drawn me to it. But when I was eight or nine, I watched Rocky IV probably 250 times. So honestly, yeah. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone has a lot to do with this, I mean, yeah. to be to be completely serious, because that made me a boxing fan. Before I was a boxing fan, I was actually a Rocky fan, which is right. not boxing, but you know, it's very... Theatrical, yeah, or, yeah, and another Rocky. Yes. So you know, there's been a couple of Rockies in here, which is kind of uh, another serendipity. Uh, you know, it's comical. We have several yeah. Rockies that come in. No, when I was a kid, I couldn't watch any of the Rocky movies because I would get too riled up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'll do it to so you. I'd go outside looking for a fight at that point. Yeah, so they will motivate, especially you. against the Russian. Yeah, <laughs> so, you yeah. gotta find them. He's out there. He's out there. He is out there. It's funny because well, we don't talk about me. I'll tell you some stories afterwards. <laughs> You ended up, you, you guys acquire the gym, you're teaching uh, kids how to box. What age groups do you work with mostly? They, they, they begin at eight, really. They have to be uh-huh. eight. Now, we have a couple that are younger that work out with parents, but uh, eight, uh, and we weren't, weren't sure what to expect on the on the ages just because we, and we would tell ourselves, you know, the, the Field of Dreams stuff, you know, we're just going to build it and see who shows up. Yeah. And uh, what if nobody shows up? I mean, you know, these are questions that you have because you're just building something and you have no idea if anybody's going to show up or not. I think for me, you ended up having eight, what I thought would be eight to 16. You ended up having maybe eight to 25. Right. A lot of young men looking for mentor men, older men. And, and we, we've had a lot of that. So it became um, a kind of 12-year-olds can mentor the eight-year-olds while the 16-year-olds mentor the 12-year-olds while the 20-year-olds mentor the 16-year-olds. And we don't have ours yet because I'm – and I'm like <laughs> yeah. 10 years older than Drew. So there's got to be some guy rolling that's 50. Yeah. To mentor me. Which we have had. We've had a gentleman that's what? Else? He's in his 70s. 70s I think yeah. is our oldest guy that's been that's, that's, that's worked out. Gentleman has Parkinson and just comes wow. in here and he, he loves it. It's actually really good for Parkinson. So, yeah, we've had it all from 7 to yeah. 70s. So Yeah. That's incredible. Mm. Yes. What is your favorite part about doing it? I think for me, and I love the boxing part uh, just because I love boxing, but you, you never want uh, kids to feel like, we're trying to develop some professional, you know, fighting atmosphere, professional boxing thing. Um, it's more about the relationships that you build with people from the community that maybe we weren't around a year and a half ago. And then all of a sudden they're part of something that's, and they've been part of something every single day. So your entire uh, relationships change. The people you spend all of your time with changes completely. And then you spend time with kids that you didn't spend time with before. We had a kid that won a fight a few weeks ago, that was probably one of our, both of our prouder moments because he's worked so hard in here to, to get a win. That is great. When you walk in and see kids doing homework in the other room before they come in here uh, to work out, that's great. And when you see other guys that are members talking to smaller uh, kids about how to do this and that, you know, and everybody kind of sharing some of the learning process of what it is because it's learning for everybody, that those things are great too. I agree with everything that Jeremy has said. Um, the gentleman, the young kid that won his fight, I think that was one of the prouder moments for all of us just because he was a kid that he worked extremely hard. I mean, his nickname is The Machine because that's all he does is come in here and work. And he's wow. he's 10 years old, you know, yeah. 
But to see him, I mean, he lost his first three fights and not get discouraged and kind of stick with it. I think that's something that he will take for the rest of his life. That'll be a life lesson right there. He might get defeated in life, but I think he'll keep pressing forward and eventually he'll have victories. And I think that's, I think that's what boxing is too. I mean, you're going to get knocked down and it's all about conditioning these kids to get back up on their feet, essentially. What's, what's interesting is like my audience is mostly pastors. Um, and you talk about developing that discipline. I mean, when we think about ministry, that, that's what it is. It's every day you wake up and like you get punched and people are so emotionally connected, <laughs> connected to their spiritual beliefs. And, um, and sometimes you get asked to get in, involved in the middle of some very messy things. So when you're, when you're teaching these kids and you have like kids that are like the machine and they come in here and they're just working and working and working, how do you motivate them to keep going? A kid like that, you don't you don't have to motivate. So we have different sets of kids. A kid that's born with it, uh, who may have challenges right now, but when he gets older, he's going to surpass a lot of kids that haven't had challenges when they're young, simply for that motivation that he has just inside of him. Uh, we also have on the the flip side of that, you have a, a large group of kids, and it's a cultural thing of mm-hmm. it's it's an American thing of. The, the recent thing of where basically everybody's child has to be comfortable all the time. Yeah. There should be no anxiety or panic in anyone's life ever. And so the, the conversations around those things have to change because, first of all, the kids have to grow up understanding that their lives are going to contain conflict and confrontation. Right. They, they're supposed to. Uh, that, that can also be a huge motivating and driving force in your life. It doesn't have to be something that you always run from. But I feel like in the current culture, what's happened with not just how we've treated kids – but you end up breaking this fight or flight mechanism that's been there for so long and you end up uh, making people think that they're not supposed to feel these certain types of things. And we've done a really, really big disservice to, to boys of a certain age because of the trying to rewire something that um, that biology doesn't want rewired. Right. Uh, and when it when you try to rewire something that biology doesn't want rewired, you pay huge co- consequences in other ways, societal ways that you know you could probably do a whole show about. But the kids that don't have that, our conversations are different with those kids because we generally say, man, this is what it's going to be like when you're 25, you know, that you're going to have a lot of these feelings. And so those relationships are a little different because you'll see the difference in a a tough minded kid and a fragile kid inside of about 10 seconds in a boxing ring where it might take a year on a on a counselor's couch, you know, because it's immediate. It's immediate. The emotional response to the. Chemi- chemicals in your in your brain and you know these types of things um there there's an immediate thing that we kind of see to say okay he's going to need a lot of support or growth or, or whatever it is what is the process of helping a kid get punched in the face <laughs> well i mean to go off what jeremy just said i, I we have to be extremely careful with these kids because these kids they get popped in the face and they don't come back yeah because they they either get embarrassed or they didn't like the way that it felt so right. the kids that do come back are the ones that usually prosper and grow and learn something about themselves. Do you, do you, I mean, do you have to tell them that? Are they surprised? No. I mean, see, it's that's like the boxing. Thing. Like, you know, you're going to yeah, get You're, you're about to get hit in the face. You have this gear on, you have a mouthpiece on. And I really believe that when we're in here, we're more like 70, 30, as far as counselors to coaches. Right. Because we're trying to, it's, it's so tricky to motivate kids now, Yeah. you know, and it's, um, you gotta, he hit it on the head early. These kids, they want to be comfortable. Right. Right. It's extremely hard for us to put them in an uncomfortable situation. Half of these kids have never boxed before. I would say 75% of them. And so you're getting in there, there's something they're not used to, and they have fists flying at them. So you have to 
you know, you got to kind of ease them into it and get them where they feel comfortable. So yeah. you got to kind of baby step them into it. And sometimes you just throw them out there and see how they respond just like that. I mean, the fire flight, we know if the kid can handle himself or he has the mental capacity to hang in there and he needs this, or if he needs a little more time to sharpen his skills so he can protect himself. And that's what we got to do. So what is that sharpening the skills process? Just more time, more, you know, work on the bag, more technical, you know, skills yeah. stuff. It's just, it's a fine line. You just got to kind of figure it out. They emotionally free. They emotionally freeze yeah. sometimes. So even though you could work on a kid moving his head for three weeks, once they, the bell rings to yes. spar, it's gone. and we don't make any kids spar. We tell them you're coming here to work out. If you want to do this eventually and compete, we'll, we'll let you through that process. Yeah. But there's a ton of kids that come in here just to hit the yeah. bag and, right. you know, they don't come in here to spar at all. It's just like any other sport though. The kids see it on TV and it looks so easy. So they can, they come in here and they think, oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. First second they get their nose popped. Yeah. I'm, they don't come back. Can you – this might be a dumb question. No. Can you be a good boxer and be afraid to get punched in the face? Uh, well, you, you can't You can't operate uh, – well, the, the fear thing, both the guys are afraid, and it doesn't matter what level it is. They're both afraid. So part of the bluster you see in boxing, pro, pro boxing, UFC – it, part of that is self-talk and self-motivation to get them out of the fear, the kind of the fear response so that their brain can work and know what it is that they're supposed to do. But every single time that a guy's in there, he's, he's, he's scared. He's nervous. You can get knocked out in front of millions of people that are watching. You know, he may not necessarily be scared of the punch in the face because those guys have felt it so many times. Right. But one of the things that they, that they feel, especially kids now, because I think kids, if you were to go back a generation or two, the kid would have gotten punched at some point in his life, probably. Uh, on the on the playground or something else, whereas kids, they're, they're, you don't see as much physical interaction like that. They're still playful, but you don't see as much as much stuff like that. You also don't hear as much of like, "Hey, this is how you're supposed to defend yourself." They don't have that talk. Yeah, necessarily. It's weird. It's it's funny that you say that. I've been asking. You know, I work with a lot of twenty uh, year olds. You know, I have a lot of interns and young people, and I'm like. When's the last time you got punched in the face? Just having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I've never, never hit been. anyone. Mm-hmm. I've never been in a fight. Yeah. yeah. I've never. How do you go your whole life? Do you think that's a failure to fathers? I don't know. I, is it a failure? I don't know. Well, like, that, I mean, that's, I guess that's the good thing. I, mean, I will say, like, to me, it's weird. It's weird to, maybe I was just a, a messed up kid. I don't know. But, like, it's weird for me to think, how do you go through elementary and middle school and, and never have gotten into a fight. Yeah. Like, how does or, that or taught to defend yourself. Or taught to defend yourself. Yeah. That's what I meant by the yeah. And I didn't make it through there, you know, so, it, and most of my buddies didn't, you know, yeah. as far as like it, it would have happened. And sometimes those things may be with your buddies. But, um, you know, I recently watched The Bells of St. Mary's, which is, a, I love that movie. And it's Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman's a nun. And it's, yeah. a, it's a boys' school, you know. Well, there's a, there's a fight. And Ingrid Bergman basically gives a kid a, boxing manual like Gene Tunney's How to Succeed at Boxing or something from a champ, you know. And it, it's a culturally, even though we're 80 years removed from that, that was probably the conversation basically forever. So at some point in the 20th century, you went from that conversation happening forever of, hey, you know, fighting is not what we, you know, and, and if you ever resort to violence, you're going to understand pretty quickly that maybe I want to find other avenues to solve my problems because of the amount of pain involved, et cetera. But that was probably always the conversation. And then post-World War II conversations have been different or maybe don't happen as much at right. all. But within all of that and the things that I see is there's still uh, an angst and an internal violence that is basically pushed down to the point of which a lot of kids get it out only solely by playing Call of Duty. 
and that, that type of thing, you know? Yeah. Which is insane because I mean, you're going to get me going. You're going to get me going. We don't need, we don't need a Rocky race. We have a place you can take some anger out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're in the right spot. Right yeah, you're in the right spot. Well, you know, I just, I, I just, you know, it just blows my mind to think like, that's what, that's what ends up happening, right? When you don't learn to exert the necessary amount of force right. as compared to what is in front of you. If you don't learn to confront a thing, yeah. like that energy just doesn't go away. Like right. that negativity, those no, feelings don't not. just disappear. They're just bottled up. And then you see explosions mm-hmm. of violence yes. as opposed to the brilliant thing about fighting when you were growing up is that it didn't matter it didn't matter if you went or lost, you got back up and you were able right. to go on with your life, you know? But now it's these violent explosions of like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, no, not, not that those things didn't always happen. Right. But it just maybe I don't know. I'm going to shut up because I'm not an no. expert on anything. <laughs> but I have two questions. I have two right. questions that came from this. And I, I want to make sure we answer them both because uh, you made a comment and then we just kind of passed right over. Uh-huh. You were like, is this a failure of fathers? Yeah. And that's a loaded statement. And I it want is. you to unpack that for Man. me. But then, then I would love to talk about... You talked about kids having self-talk. Um, and so I want to talk to you about dads. And then I want you to walk me through this self-talk process, if that's okay. Okay, okay go ahead. Let's talk about dads. Three, two, one. Jeez. I mean, please and then I'm not send, saying, I'm not necessarily. Please send your, your complaints yeah, no, to Drew No, I'm not getting my email out. Oh, my Gmail. Twitter, nothing. Dot com. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 there, I do feel there is a part uh, in the society that we live in today is, is I think, fathers – Husbands need to look themselves in the mirror and really, are they setting a good example for their kids? And that can be, I know that's very vague, but I do think um, as far as what it means to work, what it means to face confrontation, what it means to um, have your back against the wall and know that you have to do something uncomfortable or do something that you really don't want to do, but you have to do it. Right. Because your kids, everyone says it, your kids they see you do something and they go do it. Right. So if we are not doing the correct thing the correct way, if we're not facing our fears, if we're not challenging ourselves every day, I think that's one of the biggest things is that everybody gets in their comfort zone and they stay in it and you don't challenge yourself. And if your kid sees you doing that, they're going to stay comfortable and they're going to sit behind the remote control or they're going to play the video game for 12 hours because that's what they're comfortable doing. Right. Right. And so – what is the answer to that? I don't know, but I do feel like there needs to be a change as far as how how fathers go about um, pushing their children, whether that that's their daughter or their son. Right. Um, to what extent that you know that's the great question, but I do think there is a sense of failure between the male. Um, I don't know how I want to say that, but well, how, how do you think that that has? Uh, you know, we're, we're probably two generations of that. You know, we probably mm. have, you know, we have millennials who were encouraged to be very passive. Right. And now millennials are having kids. Right. Right. And so millennials are up into their thirties, some mm-hmm. of them, you know, yeah. and then um, how do you specifically, how do you see that playing out in churches? I think as far as the church wise, I, obviously it's nowhere like it used to be in the day. I think everyone has a, that's, that's where we are in society. Everything is about choices, right? Right. I mean, you can go almost to any fast food restaurant and you can get almost anything you want, but I, I feel like that's, there's a problem for that because the worst thing about having options is having too many options, I guess is, is the thing. 
I'm not saying that there needs to be black and white, but I do feel like there needs to be. I don't feel like it's taken as seriously as it, you know. It lacks courage. Yeah, I guess Almost, that's the correct way to put it. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you, you li- like the pa- the passivity thing comes from a over over comfort. Uh, we're living in a place, yeah. we created a place where we're trying to manufacture discomfort. And it's almost to the point in, in American life to where you have to, on purpose, manufacture discomfort right. because everything is so... It's so comfortable, you know, but the, and that's basically what we, you know, you don't turn on the air, kids walking like, where's air? You know, it's, it's yeah. that type of thing. But if you're, if you're living in that whole thing, then you run the risk of your, of your, your faith lacking any of the courage or maybe becoming a, a, a country club Christianity, you know, yeah. an American Jesus right. stuff. That's maybe not always what you feel like is uh, related to yeah. uh, a belief that you could um, go back to the first century and see a reflection in maybe. Yeah. When you talk about the church and uh, lacking courage, I think that it is, I've worked in the church since 1997. And uh, so almost 20 years, 20 years this September. And I would have to say that I don't even think that church leaders know which fights they should pick. Yeah. Um, when they're When they're in their congregation, they're like, taking stands on things that are isolating people from God and, and ignoring the things because they just don't know. And so it's like this, uh, this fake indignation about crap that doesn't matter. Sure. And, and I think, I think that that, I, that's what popped in my mind when you said that phrase about the church lacking courage. And I, and I just, I'm just saying it's beyond, it's worse than that. Yeah. The church doesn't even know what it should be brave about. We make people feel like they have to pick a political party. Meanwhile, children are being sold into sex slavery yeah. uh, every day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and the church is so well equipped to deal with that issue, but it obsesses about just the things that are here, things that in eight years, four years are going to change. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's my little, I'm going to stop. I'm yeah. going to stop my rant. Not that those things aren't important. You know what? They're not as important as kids being sold into slavery. <laughs> yeah. There's no way that you're going to convince me of that. Yeah, if you're in a you poverty know? stricken, if yeah. you're in a poverty stricken nation, the conversations that you have uh, about just life every day are going to revolve around the conversations that these guys, you know, conversations that 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 spiritual leaders, Augustine would have maybe taught, which there's no Augustine now. It's more of a, right. uh, everybody wants you to be rich. And those are the books that sell yeah. the best. And those are written by people. And, and that makes everybody assume that American Christianity, that, that those people are the popes of it, of the Protestant popes. Of oh, that. but like even within the, even within the church, like the most popular books are, uh, among church leaders are like how to grow your church in 30 yeah. days, yeah. how to be more successful at this, yeah. how to be, how to do, and which is why we wanted to, to do this because, I think that so many, this podcast started because so many pastors were like, Oh, well, I have to be a CEO. It's not enough for me to know the Bible and to want to invest in people's yeah. lives. Now I have to be leader of a fortune 500 church. Exactly right. Um, and, and it, that's all it is. It's all leadership conferences. It's all, and nobody, nobody's saying I'm learning. I'm learning about my faith through discipline. I'm, I'm sacrificing and becoming more like Christ, uh, this discipline of becoming less of me and more of him every day. Uh, church leaders aren't saying that. And so their biggest struggles are now things like, 
we have so many conversations about key performance indexes in the church that it blows my mind. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are people in our congregation who are uh, being abused and right. addicted to drugs, and, and yeah. it's so common. Like we don't. That's what I'm saying. We don't even know what to be brave about anymore. I'm sorry. I'm ranting. This is no. your interview. But this is this is this is. This but is you're what, right. Yeah. Well, I think right. Eugene Peterson talked about that, like how yeah. he was a pastor of a certain kind, and it was how to grow. You know, this kind of model that he didn't necessarily he was doing, and then he was kind of like, this isn't what I wanted to do. I want to spend time with people, you yeah. know, kind of, and uh, and that became a different drive, or I guess a completely. Instead of reading the book, he had to be was basically forced contemplation, you know, and, yeah. and that was where he, I guess, had maybe a different came to a different conclusion than he had earlier on. Yeah, that's what you guys you guys should write that book uh, about the church manufacturing discomfort. <laughs> that's, um, what, that's what we need. That that's is what, what we, we need. Yeah, you're right. That would be we'll, we'll co-write. Yes, it. we'll co-write it. Earlier, you made the statement, kids. Needing self-talk or not kids, just any boxer. You said both boxers are in the ring and they're both scared. And it's all about the self-talk. Mm. So teach me self-talk. What should I be saying as I'm, we're going to run this scenario. I'm i I'm about six feet tall and I'm a big guy, but Drew who's sitting in front of me is about six, eight, <laughs> 450,000 pounds, all muscle. I will destroy you. No. All, he's like a mountain of a man. And let's say we're about to, to throw down. That's not an invitation. Please don't. Please don't. We can make this happen. Yeah. Cheer you, bit. No. <laughs> he's significantly bigger man than me. What do I need to be thinking about as I uh, as he's my opponent? Well, so there's two things, you know, there's two things with that, with self-talk. So and for, the first thing I would say is in my daily life with principal type stuff, I think self-talk has changed, and then the uh, response from parents and everything else has changed. And I'm going to say what the boxer, I think the boxers do. Yeah. The uh, you know the self-talk now is for kids or, or society, American society is I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Uh, this is not supposed to be normal. I'm not supposed to be experiencing this. I'm anxious. I'm not supposed to be experiencing. I'm, I have stress. I'm not supposed to be experiencing this. For a kid, it is uh, whereas I probably wouldn't have said much in my in my household. For a kid now, it's articulated to a parent. Mom, I'm feeling really nervous. I got a lot of stress. I got a lot of anxiety about the whatever test or this class or teacher or whatever else. The parent has a response to that stress to, to eliminate it, right. basically. Not, there's, there's not a lot of talk of you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. There may be a, well, let's go see the doctor uh, so you can get something that artificially d- diminishes your ability to handle stress or deal with stress. So the, all of these options are in place now that weren't in place and have never been in place throughout the history of humanity. So those things are new in the last 40 or 50 years, which, which creates different type of generation. There's a big, big break at a certain year. I don't know what year it is, but there's a huge one. And so you have those people. And so they're self-talk, and they're a lot more open to be able to talk to their parents about things. And a lot of that's a, a positive. That's a good thing. It's just that always the effect of it becoming a, well, I'm going to swoop in. I'm going to solve your problems for you. Yeah. At 14, it doesn't make a good 25-year-old. Right. It makes a parent feel better, but it doesn't do anything for the kids. So you, you have to, we have to be able to have a place where we say things like that to parents and kids. But the boxer that gets in, uh, and Customato even said, who's Mike Tyson's trainer, the fear and the, there's no difference between a fear and a coward. None. They feel the same exact fear. They feel the same emotions. The only difference is how they use that fear or channel that fear. So you can use the fear part for, okay, I am stressed out right now. 
this is actually what I was born to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm in a place now where that stress is a good side. Tomorrow night, we have a lot of people coming. We're both going to be stressed out, you know, but there's nothing uh, that I can really do to deal with it other than to think the type of thoughts that I need to think for it to be a successful type of event. So I think those guys can stare across at each other. A lot of the self-talk they're hearing are the guys that have had their ear since they were little or that have been training them since they were whatever age. Right. And they've heard the same things. And these guys will almost always tell you 90% of all of it's in your mind. And when you get into a boxing ring, it's about 10% of all these other things. So if you can shut off the response of, I'm afraid I'm turning my head, I'm going to put my eyes down so that I don't see the punch coming. You have to really train yourself to do those types of things. So after they're able to do that, I think the self-talk becomes, you know, uh, I think that guys that are doing it at that elite of a level are probably better self-talkers than almost everybody else in boxing. Right. Just like I think Steve Jobs was probably a great self-talker. Right. And there's a lot of guys that were a lot better at nuts and bolts software type stuff or whatever it is that he, you know, uh, but he was better at the, the, the visioneering part and being able to, to, to self-talk his way into uh, squashing some of the stress response, but also accepting that it's part of it and using it to go do something that's fantastic rather than thinking, uh, I have to turn this off. Whenever we have to feel like we turn it, turn the stress thing off, then we, we lose a lot of the good stuff that we're trying to get to. And we lack a feeling of, I did that. Right. I completed something that I really wanted to do. Uh, and I've been, had been a goal of mine for so long, you know, um, I think, so I think their, I think their self-talk is probably constant. I don't, I think they probably live in a meditative state of self-talk most of the time they're in training and that's what gives them a lot of their courage, but also their ability to turn off their brain while using it at a really high level, if that makes right. any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I'm going to give you an example. There's a kid that comes in here. He's 17 years old. I knew him previously before we opened the gym. I coached him in football. Just your normal kid never was the most athletic. He worked hard but just never really took off in the football field. Knew that he had struggles with anger. Okay, so a counselor at the school uh, mentioned to him about boxing, and he knew that I was up here and that Jeremy was here. So he came in, just started training, kept training, kept training. And it was amazing. It was like a light went off in his head. He realized that he, he could do this, right? He kept pushing himself. He worked harder and harder. We fought in Golden Gloves last uh, February, and he actually won his fight. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I've ever seen that kid. Like, you could just see the pure excitement and joy and, like, self-gratification that I did something. You know, I did it. Not the team. You know, it wasn't a team. It was more of an individual thing. Right. But that kid has changed tremendously from that day. And it was just – it's something like that that is forever grateful for me and Jeremy. That One of those things that you said, what is – you know, what do you like doing about this? I mean, just seeing that, the kid that – Lack confidence, always felt like he wasn't the best. He, you know, he knew that he wasn't going to go play college football, but he changed, he kind of changed his path, came in here and did this, and his self-confidence went through the roof. Completely different kid. And the first time he sparred, when you get him in the corner, yeah, I remember putting on gloves and hitting him in the side of the head, not 100%, but saying part of the thing is you're so unused to head getting your head moved by anything artificial that's not, you're not moving it, right? that you're in a state of panic. Because somebody has, has hit you, you know, and for the most part, especially a smaller kid, it's very difficult for them to actually hurt each other. You know, a lot of people, when they think about boxing, they think the yeah. most dangerous thing in the world. And they're normally, if they're watching pros, they're 250 pounds. They're pretty close to right. You know, but a lot of these kids you have, they're small, their headgear is huge. The gloves are huge. So they're not, it's not that they're falling down. They're, they're not used to this. So you have to get them to sit here and do this and look at you while you're doing all these things. 
And it's a miracle moment because you can see them and they will be staring at you because you'll say, do not take your eyes off of me. And there will be tears streaming down their face while they're doing it because it is that yeah. uncomfortable to them. But the minute they do it and I say, see, you're not going to break. You know? mm-hmm. So the next time that this happens, you have to see your way out of that corner. You can't wow. look down and get out of it. And that kid went from that experience to maybe two months later, mm-hmm. everything was fine. And I'm in a fight and that guy just punched me and I'm punching him. You know, and that's in one. Yeah. You know, and that's sometimes those things happen in a short span of time and you get to witness every single one of them, you know, so I mean, it's kind of like light bulb, you know, you get to see them and that's, uh, you can't put a, a price on those moments because the, if the kid never laced up a pair of gloves again, the lesson goes with him yeah. uh, for the rest of his life, you know, yeah. and, and the questioning of could I do this if I wanted to do it goes away for the rest of his life. All of these things that are there, maybe without that experience, you know, uh, they, they stick with you. And there's maybe not another chance for that kid to do it in the next five years. So what kind of 22-year-old is he going to be? Yeah. When I, was, uh, when I was in youth ministry, I would always tell parents, constantly reminding them that the goal is not to have good kids. The goal is to have awesome men and women, yeah. godly men and women. Right. Like that was, that was why we woke up every day. That's why we were teaching them things, not because we needed them to be well-behaved teenagers, because yeah. that's not always going to be their situation. Right. Sure. They're going to be adults long, yeah. longer yeah. that and we to make big decisions. I love it. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. To have mercy, to coach, especially when they're teenagers, it's not about like instilling moral values, but teaching them how to use those yes. moral values yes. and uh, coaching them through all of those experiences and, and all this other stuff. I'm obsessed with this idea of manufactured discomfort. <laughs> um, let's talk about discomfort for a little bit. Okay. How do you use uh, discomfort in your own lives? Uh, well, recently a diet, it was incredibly discomfortable, <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Dog in the mornings. I don't, yeah. I'm a big guy, but I have to, I have to do it to manage my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I do three miles every morning. I was, uh, I was coming out of my subdivision, running up the street and, uh, they, they pay like the, the lawn care guys to come. Uh-huh. And, and I just think they probably think I'm an idiot. <laughs> like when did, when did this become my life that I have to invent exercise just yeah. so that I can be as active as they have been? the first one hour of their day. Yeah. You know, and that's part of the thing there, Mm -hmm. you know, last year before this thing kicked off, I went to Montserrat at Lake Dallas, which is a Jesuit retreat, mainly for priests and preachers. Been there, Yeah. And it's a wonderful place. And, you know, for me, uh, I'm not Catholic, but there's very, there's very few, if any Protestant contemplation places I've ever heard of or know about, you know, it's not a tradition that's talked about as much as it is with the Catholics. I've always been really drawn to it. So, I went, you know, it was three days of silence, no cell phone, uh, you know, praying most of the day, uh, scripture reading most. You know, these are things that w- while school was going on and my responsibility was at the school, you know, and I have 650 kids and a huge staff and parents and these types of things that are very hard to turn off in the middle of the school year. Right. And so for me, it was letting uh, it was a huge time to let go, which I had you know done purposefully, but also because I wanted to go someplace to think about where we were headed with all of this. And that was a big part of why. I was doing it, you know, but it was uh, any type of contemplation, prayer, whatever else, if it's not always habitual, can be just uncomfortable because of we don't have time. We don't have this. Sometimes we don't want to face the thing there. And the, the thing I realized there was a lot of the stuff in the con- contemplative tradition seems to be a great uh, reckoning with yourself. Right. And we do not want to do that. And mm-hmm. so sometimes the most uncomfortable thing is a reckoning with yourself and boxing ultimately is a physical reckoning with yourself. And I'd say the spiritual one is any type of content, you know, don't talk for three days and you're going to pray and you're looking in the mirror a lot and you're really examining yourself and your life and decisions that you've made, you know, but those are all ways that uh, if you, if you ask people to sign up for it, they're signing up for 
for discomfort, you know, yeah. uh, but for greater gain at the end, just like if they step in here or, or, you know, or do other things, other things like that. Those are all ways that in American life right now, because we're so affluent, you can avoid them. Right. You can yeah. completely avoid them and you never have to have, you know, you can almost live without, without discomfort, maybe an entire lifetime, whereas they almost the entire rest of the world would not know that feeling. And a billion of them be waking up tomorrow morning wondering where any food would come from. Right. So those are conversations that they don't have to they don't have to manufacture, but um, they also may not be as miserable as uh, as we are sometimes. Right. With running away from the discomfort. What about you, man? The mental side to me is kind of what how I'd want to try to make myself uncomfortable. I'm a big believer of trying to put yourself in in a problem situation. And it's so cliche, but being part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. So I'd, I'd like to try to solve problems, try to always challenge myself. How can I do this better? How can I make this better? Um, so just really more self-evaluation, mental breakdown. How can I improve? You know, just stuff like that on the mental side of things. Every day. I can't say every day. Yeah. I'm, I'll be honest. I can't say every day, but it is fun putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. To me, it's not, I'm not going to say fun, but it, you learn so much about yourself when you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and you watch how you grow individually and then how much of an impact you can make on all the people around you by that. For sure. I mean, the greatest thing is when a man is to his weakest point, he's, you know, he sees the fear of losing everything. And then you watch how much he appreciates the little things after that. Yeah. You know, the little things out of the big things to me, you know, I was taught that from a, a coach for me and it's stuck in my brain and it's so true. It's the little things out of the big things. If you're willing to tell a little lie, you'll tell a big lie. Or, you know, if you're willing to say you'll be there in five minutes and you show up in 10, those are little things. And those, those can add up to huge things. So it's the mental side of me is, is what I try to put myself in those uncomfortable situations. Yeah. Awesome. And website. Yes www.jeffersonstreetbox.com not boxing not box. boxing box someone at it we, we're gonna yeah. pay them for it eventually but you can just fight them for it <laughs> yeah we'll fight them for it yeah. get in the ring <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, social media yeah so we're on Instagram uh, we do have a Twitter um, Facebook it, yeah we do have Facebook as well so all Jefferson the, Street Box no so Twitter's no pass no punch mm -hmm. uh, Facebook is just Jefferson Street Boxing Club and then uh, same as in Instagram excellent we'll make sure to keep put all those in the in the show notes if people want to get involved in what you're doing yeah. here how can they help absolutely um, our phone numbers on the website they're more than welcome to check that out and give us a call or our emails on there as well and what kind of help are you guys looking for we uh, you know we, we've uh, we have some people that sponsor kids because yeah. they know especially local people if they know of a specific kid you know sometimes a kid that gets in trouble and needs a place to go or has no yeah. father that type of thing uh we and we always um uh, allow people to feel like they're influencing the youth in, the, in that way you know and we do it in a way that our business model was basically to break even you know every month yeah. and that's pretty much you know what it's been we charge 33 bucks a month right. for these kids so essentially a dollar a day a kid can get tutoring get boxing and Incredible. So we're not, this is a mission for us. This isn't about money. This isn't about, you know, right. this is so much bigger than that. So. Are you guys looking for interns? <laughs> Wait, we, we have one. one. We yeah. have one intern. He's fantastic. So yeah, we would. Are we you looking for some interns replacement? <laughs> no. Well, Kyle is about to leave, but um, yeah, we're always looking for help. This is a great way for people to dip their toe in it for sure. Cause it's a crash course. Awesome. The amount of kids that come through this door and that need help. So. Thank you guys Absolutely. for giving me time. 
Thank yeah. you. Thanks Absolutely. for being a productive ministry. Productive Ministry is hosted by Rocky Hernandez and produced by Tim Jenkins. Special thanks to Drew Peterson and Jeremy Melton for being our guests today. Also, thank you to Audible.com for sponsoring the show. Get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash Productive Ministry. The Productive Ministry podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. Wherever you listen, we ask you to please rate and subscribe. This really does help us out. We hope that you'll share the episode, and we'd love to talk to you about it. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. Follow us on Twitter at prodministry, that's P-R-O-D ministry. Our website is productiveministry.org. This has been a production of Rumble Media. And as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week.